and our love for you, Lord. And I pray now that you teach us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. You're welcome. Yeah. Good morning. <laughs> hey, welcome to Sierra Bible Church. Good to have you. Um, let me see what is going on here. Oh, right. Got it. Um, hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jesse. Welcome to Sierra Bible Church, part of a great team. Good to have you guys with us. Hey, one of the things that obviously has happened over the last uh, 18 months or so is we've had some some folks leave uh, and move out of the area, and then obviously several of you have moved back uh, into the area, and we're thankful to have you. Uh, and so with that, we're still trying to get to know all of the new faces and new folks and new people that are coming to church, and, and so uh, would love to get to know you, love to meet you. But if you are new, there's a couple different ways that you can get uh, connected. One, you can download our app. I'm afraid to click the button. It's not going to play the video, is it? Okay. Um, we do have an app, and want to encourage you to download that on your phone or your tablet or whatever you get your information from. Visit our website regularly, but this has all the events that are happening in our church, uh, which are quite a few. It is fall, and so all kinds of new things uh, have launched, whether that's new uh, Bible studies, community groups, uh, and different events that are popping up, uh, such as Bunko Night for the ladies. We're doing this for the gals. The women's ministry always puts on really fun events. Last year, we did a, a bingo night. Um, excuse me, for everybody, and that was a complete blast, so I'm really looking forward uh, to bingo. So women's ministry heads, let's get bingo going because Pastor Jesse likes to play bingo. Um, and then uh, in addition to that, uh, if you have not had a chance to see Tim and the Glory Boys, we've had them come and do a concert at our church uh, for a couple years. They didn't do it last year, obviously, but we're having them come back. And if you've not had an opportunity to experience uh, what the, the kind of show that they put on, they are a blast. They're a ton of fun. It's great music, and you're, gonna, you're not going to want to miss this. And then uh, I believe, if I'm correct, they are doing uh, worship for us that Sunday morning, which is great. Uh, so looking forward to having them there uh, then. And then that night, we're doing Trunk or Treat. So we've got a concert on Saturday night, got some killer guest worship on Sunday morning, and then Sunday night we have our Trunk or Treat event. If you're not familiar with Trunk or Treat, uh, Trunk or Treat, we have uh, all these cars lined up in the back. They're all decorated with some folks there to hand out candy to kids, especially families and, and young ones that don't normally come to church. Uh, when we've done this event in the past, it's, it's been attended by, by well over 1,000 people. It's actually one of the largest events in our town and community as a whole. So we're going full bore in it this year, and there's a couple things we want to ask of you. Uh, number one, we want you to pray because we want the event to be successful, obviously. Number two, we need candy, lots and lots of candy. And so we're doing a candy drive. There's a bucket in the back. Just bring some candy during the week or on a Sunday, and we'll make sure that stuff gets sent out. And then number three, we need volunteers. Because uh, not only do we have cars, you can set up a car or a motorcycle or whatever. We've got a couple businesses that are going to show up uh, and do some stuff for us here as well. But we do um, kind of like a, a fair. There's some games for the kids to play. We need volunteers for that. Uh, and then obviously, you know, helping out with making hot dogs and we give away free food. So please sign up for that. You can do that online, uh, on the app, on the webpage, or in the back of the booth. So no excuse to not sign up. If, if you are afraid you're going to forget and you're like me, just pop on uh, the interwebs right now and sign up. No issues uh, with that for me until a little later. And then I'll be like, why are you looking at your phone? And then I'll rebuke you out loud and we'll just go down there. Okay. Um, and then uh, we actually, um, uh, this last year we did a camp and Caleb's going to come up. We're going to show you a camp we did for our, uh, our high school kids as well as four other churches, right? Five. Five other churches. So six churches total. 
and uh, I'll let Caleb kind of cue that up for you. So this is Caleb. He's our youth pastor here at the church. Can I get, can I see just the front of that video real quick so I can explain the logo? This is our, uh, this was our camp logo and theme for the year. King Jesus is greater than everything. We had a student at one point talk to one of the leaders. Oh, you can't say King Jesus anymore. It's offensive. And like, that's the name of camp. That's great. And so that's kind of part of it. Um, we went through the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and, and how King Jesus throughout chapter 11 is better than all these other things. So let's watch the camp video. Sorry, it's a little glitchy. Internet's been down, but I um, want to give you guys a little bit of idea what camp was like. And can we get it louder? available on our website or on our YouTube channel if you want to check it out and it won't be glitchy there. Um, apologize for that. But just a couple things. I, I got to thank um, our kitchen staff for camp puts out like 16 hour days consistently through the whole thing. I mean, they work so hard and I just want to um, name them for you real quick. Diana Witten, Steve O'Corrales, Mark Sullivan, Jim Dunavant, um, Connie Schultz, Kim Hayes, Jay Garbrino, Mick and Shelley Dero, 
and Eric Hayes. And these guys, I mean, 14 to 16 hour days every day in the kitchen. On top of that, camp had some like things like on the back end, we suffered. <laughs> it was so hard to pull off this camp for 203 people. Um, one of our buses broke 30 minutes like away from camp. So we're like sending like seven vans to go and try and pile everybody into these things and get everybody to camp on time. There was flooding in one of our boys' cabins. Um, and then our food truck, like our big Cisco food delivery was a day late. 230 kids. And we, like the kitchen staff, I don't, don't want to say we, but the kitchen staff scrounged together dinner and breakfast to, to feed all these kids. And they did an amazing, the kids had a great time. They didn't know about on the back. And we're like, oh my gosh, Lord, please come through and save us. Um, we're out in the middle of nowhere at this camp. There's no cell service. It's up... Uh, you go to Quincy, and right before you get to Quincy, you take a left-hand turn up into the wilderness for another hour and a half. And it's up in the mountains, kind of near Laporte. And there's no cell service, so the kids naturally just unplug from the world. And they get Bible study and worship and games and food and fellowship and love. After every evening session, we have uh, like cabin devo time. And they, the, the kids get together, and they just they share about what's going on in their lives. By the end of camp, some kids are really opening up. One of the neatest experiences at camp was our final evening. Courtney Dyer, she uh, taught on the person of Rahab in the Hebrews 11. She shared a lot of her own testimony, a lot of her own stuff, junk, sin that God had redeemed and, and forgiven and saved and bought back and used for good. And I, I checked in on our boys' cabins after this, after this night, and... Uh, there wasn't a dry eye in the cabins. Like these boys, these young men were weeping. And it wasn't bad. For the first time, they had experienced forgiveness and knew that that was even available. And they were sharing stuff that I don't think any of them had ever told anyone. And to know that they weren't alone in that and that they were forgiven was a pretty powerful um, night. Uh, one, one young man, his name's Jackson, not a Christian, <laughs> comes to camp. First night, he sets up a little um, it's got little candles and a little Buddha and it's like set up in the corner of the cabin and one of our youth leaders is like hey bud uh, <laughs> you can't, I'm sorry you can't have this, <laughs> we're not doing this here he set a little shrine and Jackson at the end of the camp you know, we, we, we have this bonfire and he shares he's like oh, look man, I, I didn't know what to expect coming here and, but this forgiveness thing is real and that's like, it was just an amazing time. And um, so thank you guys so much for supporting us. I mean, many of you gave money to that event. And uh, it was a very, very powerful thing. So thank you very much. I wanted to share that with you guys this morning. <clears throat> so as Caleb shared, uh, you know, it's important for us to communicate with you that, you know, we are definitely committed as a church to pouring into the next generation. And thank you for those of you who have allowed us to do that. As Caleb said, many of you have helped donate to that event as we're kind of really committed to try to make all of the events that we put on for kids and adults as free as possible, if not a very minimal charge. And we usually take a hit for that stuff. We usually take a loss on it because, you know, we're, we're not for profit. We're not here to uh, get Pastor Jesse a private jet. Uh, though if you gave me one, I'm not sure I would deny it, you know, um, so, for a lot of different reasons. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're committed to that, so thank you. And then this morning, also, I want Robert Clements to stand up. This is Robert Clements. If you haven't had a chance to meet Robert, which, which many of you probably haven't, we've been supporting Robert Clements 
uh, with Wyclef for 25 years. 25 or 26? 26? 25 years. And he's here visiting right now. My wife and I actually had an opportunity before we had kids to go visit him in Papua New Guinea. He was the director of, the, of athletics for the school there, yeah? And youth director. And he asked me to come out and uh, public speak for uh, a group of missionary kids out there. And it was a great time. And just, man, just putting his life out there to help these uh, young kids get to know Jesus and, and uh, in the jungle. And it was a crazy place. Papua New Guinea is crazy. And uh, they've got a road out there called the most dangerous road in the world. And it's because you can get hijacked on it any time. And uh, we didn't get hijacked, so praise Jesus for that. We're still here. But um, they're now, he's now doing recruiting for Bible translation. So a couple things. One, if you want to translate, learn how to translate the Bible, talk to Robert because he, he'll recruit you. If you want to help get the Bible in people's hands who don't have one, he's a great individual to support. So he'll be out in the foyer, uh, and please ask him some questions. Ask how you can help and partner with him, and I'm sure he'd love to answer those questions with you. Okay, you ready to get in the Word? I would say the Word. You ever, you ever do this before? You go, the Word. Hold up your Bibles if you got The Word. Right. Some of you are like, I don't know what to do with this. So you're like, that's pretty cool. Like, I did youth ministry for almost 10 years, so. Um, <clears throat> okay, context, a little bit of context again. Uh, and if this start, starts, if this, this kind of intro to all of the messages, if you've been here, starts to sound repetitive, that's a good thing. That means you're finally starting to get it, and you're going to walk away and go, okay, I know what Colossians is about. So if you remember, Paul is in prison. He's written this letter. He's in a jail cell because he's been proclaiming the gospel, and that is a no-no. And so he has been placed in prison, and, and there's this church in Colossae. Yeah, if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand, and one of the guys will uh, hand you one. Colossians chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. And um, so... Uh, Paul does know the pastor of the church, basically. His name is Epaphras, and Epaphras travels from Colossae to where Paul is in prison. It's quite a a distance, and he shares with Paul, Paul, this is what's happening in the Colossian church. There's what's called the Colossian heresies that are existing in the church. Essentially, what was happening in the church, the culture was adopting ideologies. I'm sorry, the church was adopting ideologies from the culture, philosophies from the culture. Uh, They were beginning to add to the Bible and add to the gospel. And so in the beginning of the letter, Paul just establishes something that all of us need to remember and know as Christians, that the gospel actually is much more simple than we intend to make it. And you don't need to add anything to the gospel, that Jesus is sufficient for salvation, that you don't need to work for salvation. You don't have to earn your salvation. There's nothing you can do to earn it. And you should not be mixing your salvation, mixing the gospel, mixing the word of God with anything in the culture, but rather let God speak where God speaks. And so we believe, as Paul believes, that the word of God is true for all people in all places at all times. And so he just bolsters up this reality that the gospel is as simple as you could possibly make it, that Jesus earned our salvation for us. Then in the second part of Colossians, where we're at now, chapters three and chapter uh, four, Paul gets practical. He says, okay, now that you understand the sufficiency of Jesus, that you're saved by grace and grace alone, these are some things you should be very practical on. And this is a very similar way in which Paul writes many of his letters. It's usually Christology and gospel up front, that it's all about Christ. This is what we need to know. This is what we need to be reminded of. And then he gets into the practical nuts and bolts. What does it look like now that we're saved? How should we live? 
Uh, last week, we talked about prayer, and I want to, uh, in my first point, just remind us of a couple things from last week and add a little bit to it. So the first point will be prayer. Second point will be proclamation. Third point will be a mindset in which she, we should have. So if you're following with me, that is kind of the outline of where we're at. So uh, if you would this morning, if you have the ability to, it, would you honor uh, with your bodies standing before the Lord as we read Scripture and positioning our hearts and minds to hear from Him. <clears throat> Chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So, Lord, we do ask that your word would be sufficient. That though, Lord, our life can seem so complex and so crazy at times, that you have a way of simplifying things for us, Lord, and bringing us the peace in our hearts that we ultimately need to live in this world that is falling apart. May you be true to us, consistent to us, comfort us, Rebuke us, be with us. And we trust you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. You may be seated. Um, so remember, we kind of in this section talking about, you know, words that bring life. The, this is the idea that what we say with our mouths matter. If you remember, I talked a little bit last week from James chapter 3, that James essentially says that you can make a connection with how good your life is or how bad your life is by literally what is coming out of your mouth. And the first encouragement that Paul gives the church in chapter 4 is that we would be people that are specifically marked by prayer. And being marked in prayer, he tells us to be watchful. This is kind of language that we are at war. And last week I mentioned that, that really what Paul is calling us to with this alertness and perseverance in prayer is to be coronary Christians and, and not adrenal Christians. Right? There's a difference. And if you remember, I used this definition, weaved it a little bit with some of John Piper's information that, that, that he kind of says that to be a coronary Christian is to be kind of like the heart that exists within man. Right? Your heart is faithful to plump blood in your body day in, day out, on good days and bad days. And so his point of saying to be a coronary Christian is to be a faithful kind of person, to have a heart of faithfulness to God and to the God's ways that, that no matter how good the day is or bad the day is, you're going to follow Jesus. You will be faithful just as your heart is faithful to serve you. Now on the other end is the adrenal kind of Christian that is constantly moving from experience to emotional place to emotional place. And then when they don't have that emotion or that experience, they're wondering, where is God in my life? That's not to say that all emotions are bad. They're certainly not. But it is to say that if we're living for these high moments, eventually you will get adrenal fatigue and you'll crash out and you'll give up and you'll think that God has abandoned you. There's a great example from Nehemiah. The prophet Nehemiah is in this place where if you know the backdrop of the book a little bit, he has seen the destruction and the brokenness of Jerusalem. Literally, he has seen the walls that fortified Jerusalem have fallen. And in response to this fallen state of his nation, in the sinful state of his nation, he cries out in prayer to God. And this is what he says. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, oh Lord, God of heaven, 
the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against. The reason this is important is because it kind of summarizes what Paul is stating within regards to prayer, which also summarizes what is in Ephesians chapter 6.18, if you remember again from last week, the kind of persistence, the persistence we should have in praying. This is what we have with Nehemiah. He is praying literally day and night. He is that persistent. He is fasting. He's wailing. He's mourning. But he is pleading with God to intervene in his people's lives. In addition to that, he's reminding God of his promises. You keep your covenant. You are faithful, God, and you are steadfast. It's one of the greatest things we can do in prayer. Not only to be persistent in praying to God, but sometimes we should and ought to remind God, not as if he needs to be reminded. It's more for our, our own remindedness that God is faithful and good and his promises will be fulfilled as it says, all is yes that is in Christ. And then we should be interceding for our people. And then lastly, he's confessing sin. There's something about being humble before the Lord, worshiping God, confessing our humility, confessing our brokenness, and asking that we indeed need to rely on the Lord. We are dependent upon God for all things. Right? The culture will tell you, as it was telling in Paul's day, that you are sufficient on your own, that you are your own God, that you can do what pleases you. Go with your feelings. Go with your gut. Follow your heart. Give in to your emotions. Give in to your fleshly desires. And Paul would rather say that is absolutely not what we should do. Rather, we should confess those things as sin-filled and, and independent. We are not to be isolated from the Lord. But there is one gospel, and that gospel is filled with the power of God. And that power is sufficient to forgive sins and to draw us near to the Lord is as, as it is said that we are to, to make Jesus our Lord and our Savior. Sometimes when we think of the gospel, many of us will, will think of the, the gospel in those lines of, well, I want him to be my Savior. Right? There are people all across the globe who have, have thought in their minds that they've come to Jesus because they're afraid of going to hell. You know, one is not saved. One is not saved because they're afraid of going to hell. They're saved because they have a relationship with Jesus. That they want that. They want God himself. And the way we know that happens is in that context of what I mentioned, Lord and Savior, is that he not just saves you, but you make him. You position yourself under him as your Lord. You know, what does that mean? That means that literally you, you, have, you give your life to God. You give all your ways to Jesus Christ. And you allow him to tell you how to live, what your marriage looks like, how, what words you should use, how do you pray, how do you fellowship, how do you gather. All of these different things that make us Christians, we get them from making him Lord. And what was happening in Colossae a little bit is they're, they're allowing the politics of the day and they're allowing some of the other religions of the day to be Lord over them instead of Jesus being Lord. So Paul reminds us, pray to the one that is Lord. Give yourself to the one that is the Lord. And then he says specifically we should be praying for something very, very specific that we would proclaim the word of God. This is what Paul says, pray for me. He says, pray for me that I can proclaim the gospel. The language he uses here 
for a gospel is the mysteries of Christ. These mysteries that have been revealed. How many of you remember the first time someone shared the gospel with you? Maybe it took three or four or five times. Right, so many of you, and some of you are new, you don't know all of my story, but you know, my parents were, were drug addicts, and one day my mom came home. She had me when she, she was 17 years old. I was 12 at the time, and my mom came home, and she said that she found Jesus. And because she made Jesus Lord, like everything changed. I shared a few weeks ago how she purged my room of the posters and the music, and she started to wear long dresses, and, and she, she started to go to church every week, and she just became different. Everything changed with Jesus as Lord, everything. And this is coming from, now mind you, this is coming from the, 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 the guy that my mom married that raised me. Dave was a guy from, who, who rode Hell's Angels and built, rode, rode with the Hell's Angels and built Harley Davidson's for fun. I have one of them in my garage right now, a 1971 shovelhead Harley that he built from, the, from his youth and has kept all of the days of his life. And now I have it in my garage and, and it's this big scary machine that I'm too afraid to drive. And so you have to remember here, my mom, I remember they had a friend that used to live just off of uh, West River Street who, who, who made leathers for my mom and dad, you know, chaps and stuff. So imagine one day you've got mom who rides motorcycles who's wearing chaps and stuff and hanging out with other people who do, do drugs. And the next day she's wearing a long skirt. And you're thinking to yourself, she has lost it. Now you fast forward again, this is the proclamation of the gospel. Paul's praying for this proclamation that people like my mom would hear the gospel, give their lives to Jesus, and everything would radically change. And what was happening on the outside, though that that changed, my mom's not necessarily into long dresses anymore, but, but those things change. Something starts to appear on the outside because of something, a reality that has appeared on the inside. And I remember my mom proclaiming the gospel to my dad who used to ride with the hell's angels and she said to him, Dave, there's a men's retreat. You're going or I'm leaving you. That's how you preach the gospel. <laughs> Very effective. I remember so clear, man, my dad taking that duffel bag and shoving his clothes in it, cussing and cursing and angry because he was a very angry, violent and he went to the men's retreat, and he heard the gospel in a way that he couldn't hear it from my mom, and he came home, and he had given his life to Jesus. And everything changed. Everything absolutely changed for him. Everything changed for me. It didn't mean that everything was perfect, because it certainly wasn't, but when the, by the time these things had occurred, and my mom had asked me, Jesse, do you want to give your life to Jesus? I felt like I had no other choice but to give my life to Jesus. Because how could I not worship a God who had the ability to give me a family, basically? This is a God of families, a God of love, a God of encouragement, a God of forgiveness. And we know that sharing our faith, if you're honest, can be difficult and hard. Right? Paul said it about prayer earlier. He says, labor with me in prayer because praying can be difficult. And now he's calling us as we pray to pray to do that which is even sometimes even harder to do, and that is to proclaim our faith to people in a world that don't know Jesus, we should be proclaiming that to them. This is nothing new as far as it being difficult. I mean, if you remember, God went to Moses, said, Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh. And Moses' response was, I can't speak very well. I don't know words too good. 
And God actually tells Moses, you know, who made man's mouth? I'll work it out. Jeremiah himself, who's known as the wailing prophet, at one point in time told the Lord, I can't speak on behalf of you because I don't know how to speak and I'm just a youth. I'm too young. But then later Paul would, would say even for him, he was the guy who said, how can I proclaim the gospel when I used to be that that persecuted Christians? But he said, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Jeremiah later would say, I must preach that which is in my bones. So we know that preaching the gospel, the mysteries of Christ, is difficult. But it is a mandate for us as Christians to preach. Isn't that a fun word these days? Mandate? There's a mandate from Christ that if we are a believer, we should be proclaiming the mysteries and the excellencies of Jesus. So Paul gives us a few things he says that we should be praying for in this regard. The first one is pray for an open door. You see it in the text? Pray for an open door for us. This is actually not even the first time Paul has mentioned this. He says it in 1 Corinthians. He says it in Acts. And then God himself says it in Revelations chapter 3, verse 7, where we are told that God opens a door no one can shut. Right? What would it look like if, as Christians if we were praying every single day, and you're going to get this challenge here at the end of the sermon, but if we were living life in such a way where we prayed for open opportunities to preach the gospel. God, give me a door to open that I may preach your good no- news to those who are with me. I, I, I kind of have a saying that, that I've replicated from an old pastor buddy of mine, that if you're in my life and you don't know Jesus, you're in my life because Jesus wants to save you. That means every relationship I have that is non-Christian, God has placed them in his sovereignty in my life that I would have the ability to share with them the door to be opened for the favor to occur that I can share the good news of Jesus Christ. There's a great story, if you remember, in regards to these open doors, and it'll kind of give us a contrast of what an open door looks like and doesn't look like. But if you were to go to Acts chapter 12, you'd find this, this place in Acts chapter 12 where Peter is arrested for sharing his faith. And while he's arrested, we're told that Peter's actually chained to two different guards with sentries at the door of the jail cell. An angel appears to Peter. The chains fall off. And Peter is escorted by the angel past those guards, past those sentries, to the front gate of the city that Peter then would go into the city to continue to preach the gospel. So in his particular position of being, being in prison, God saw in his sovereignty, I'm going to open the door. No one's going to shut it. You're going to leave the prison. You're going to go into the city, and you're going to preach the gospel. Now, by contrast of that, you have Paul, who lived under house arrest in Acts chapter 28. He was in jail just like Peter. Peter was able to exit the jail. Paul, rather, had to pay at his own expense to be in home prison. And he welcomed anyone into his home because he would have visitors. And we're told that all of the soldiers that that were guarding him, all of them, at one point or another, heard the gospel from Paul. We're told even further at one point that not not only, it actually tells us the whole imperial guard, by the way, heard the gospel, which is phenomenal, but then even those that were in Caesar's household, the high politicians of the day, if you will. So Paul, he doesn't get to leave prison, but the door of opportunity is that the gospel would go forth in the kind of government sector in which was controlling him. 
Now, what's the point of all this? The point is, at some point, Jesus may open the door for you to walk outside to preach the gospel to those who've never heard the gospel, or you may be stuck in an office cubicle over at Clear Capital, and guess who you're to share the gospel with? The other people in the cubicle. Oh, gotcha, got them. Wherever you are, that is your mission field to have the door of opportunity to preach the gospel. As John MacArthur says, there's no negative circumstances, only unique opportunities. That's the attitude of Paul, and that's the attitude that should be held at the pulpit. And he says, okay, this door must be open, that the mystery of the gospel would be proclaimed. Now, what does that mystery mean? It just means all of that which is in the Old Testament has now been revealed in regards to the Messiah. The things that were in the Old Testament didn't totally make sense. Now they make sense. But it also details all those mysterious kind of things that occur when you're a Christian. The fact that you become one with Christ, that God is incarnate, that he's going to return for his church, that he has put sin, death, and shame and guilt to an end, and that all of us are one nation under God. There's no longer Jew. There's no longer Gentile or male or female. There's just all of those of us who are children of God. So Paul's prayer, he says, okay, we need to pray for an open opportunity. That's what we need to pray for. But then Paul adds to it. He says that we, we would be clear, that we would have clarity and power in sharing the gospel. It means to be loving for sure, but it means to be bold and without fear. Right? Just as Ephesians tells us to pray at all times, it later goes on in that same passage of, of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. He says to pray at all times, then he adds to that, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. But this is Paul's encouragement. He's talked about Christology. He's talked about the gospel. Now he's getting really practical. And he's thinking, you've got to pray. What do I got to pray for? You've got to pray for an open opportunity. You've got to pray for an open door. But you've got to pray for boldness. Right? We should not be ashamed of the gospel. The world needs hope and love and encouragement, not negativity, not pessimism, right? We, we need more prayer, more study of God's word, more proclamation of the gospel, and less propaganda from the news, right? All day long, it's just someone trying to lie to you and tell you that you should live this way, tell you that you need to act a certain way, tell you to use certain words this way. I mean, I'm always a little timid whenever I start talking about politics, but sometimes you have to because we live in a day and age where it's impossible to, to, to live without it, right? I mean, some of us had issue early on when the governor came out and started making mandates because like, how, how does the government make certain mandates? And these, well, it's only for emergency uses, but now, now our California governor, who needs our prayers and encouragement, by the way, is now saying and mandating all kinds of new things for us, mandating what schools will teach, mandating what stores will do. In fact, he recently just mandated that certain companies of a certain size have to have gender-neutral aisles in them. That's mandated. If you own your own company, you don't get to decide what you sell. Now the governor gets to decide what you sell. When do the mandates stop? Well, apparently never. Apparently never. And that's not to bash on him. That's just to say and to be reminded of these men who are in leadership positions that are supposed to be serving the people are not the ones we look to for our morality or how we should live and how we should act or how we should do anything at all whatsoever. It is Jesus who is our main man. 
He's the one we take our cue from. And we are in a place in our culture where we must finally say, enough is enough. I will be obedient to Christ and Christ alone. It's no different than when Martin Luther stood up against the Catholic Church and said, here I stand, I can do no other. I have nowhere else to go. It's the same thing when the apostles said, or when Jesus said to his disciples, are you going to abandon me too? Are you going to leave me? Are you going to forsake me? And what are the disciples' response? Of course, it's Peter. Where else are we going to go? For you alone have the words of life. Where else are we going to go in such a dark, crazy world? We're going to go to Jesus. We're going to go to him in prayer and we're going to say, God, we know that the culture's dark. We know that the government's going in a direction we may not agree with. And Lord, you know what? I'm not going to be tripping out about it. Right? We're, we're not supposed to be in a place where, where we're worried and we're complaining and, and we're grumbling and I can't believe. and oh, uh, That's the world. Where, where are we at? Last I checked, Jesus was still sitting on the throne. Last I checked, he's still God. He's still in charge. And he even, he even at times allows the culture to be what the culture is so the church will finally be what the church is supposed to be. What are you going to do? Someone wrote me a letter this week, and it is as clear as day to me. The church has come to a precipice. It's come to a crossroads. Are you going to go right or are you going to go left? There's no more muddy middle. It's all in or not at all. Jesus alone is Lord. So you just give, give me an open door, Lord. Give me an open door, but give me clarity and power. But then he adds to that. He tells us to walk wise. What he's saying now here in this particular point is may your actions actually follow what you're saying your life has to live a certain way a great author said your life speaks so loudly i can't hear what you're saying right we can say we believe in jesus but if our life doesn't reflect the gospel then no one's going to listen to us and so paul is saying we need to pray for the open door we need to pray for power but you need to pray that you would be wise that you would live poetically and that you would be uncompromising in preaching the truth and the way to wisdom is really simple in Scripture. We're to worship Jesus. We're to pray because, and ask for it. This is actually what James says. If you lack wisdom, ask for wisdom. But if you don't know how to live in your workplace that is secular, you surely should ask the Lord, give me wisdom and how I ought to live in this place that does not want to follow you. And of course, we should study the word and listen to good Bible teachers and preachers. We as Christians must start to become a bit more finicky on who we will listen to and who we won't. Because just like in Colossae, heresies are starting to creep into the church. It saddens my heart. I, I hate to even say it. I hate to even stand up here and say, say that this is occurring, but it is. The American church is becoming more compromised, and they're allowing the culture to dictate what they will say and what they won't say. And they're starting to lose, they're starting to use philosophical and cultural language in their preaching rather than biblical language in preaching. And this is again why Paul is saying, you've got to pray for your leaders. You've got to pray for clarity when they preach. You've got to pray for boldness when they preach. You've got to pray that they will be uncompromised when they preach. Because there is only one true church according to Jesus Christ, and it's the church that is uncompromised in the word of God that keeps the gospel at its center, that you are not saved by good works, but you're saved by Jesus. 
Jesus and nothing else. So, you need to know who to listen to? Just call the office. We'll tell you who to listen to. <laughs> In addition to that, he then says, as we speak, as we're looking for, for these doors of opportunity to open, and as we're looking for power in that preaching when we preach and as we want our lives to be in line with what we're saying he says make sure that when you do share the gospel you do it with grace allow your speech he says to be filled with grace which means when we speak with people we should give those individuals that disagree with us sometimes vehemently and violently an undeserved kind of kindness and understanding and compassion well, herein lies the hard part that is so different than the culture, right? Because, because the way of disagreeing in our culture today is to scream really, really loud online. Right? We've have, it, it, this is true. We have lost the art. We've lost the art of being able to sit down and have healthy dialogue. Like, that's gone, right? We, we now as a culture, if you disagree with me, we equate disagreement with hate. That's how far we've gotten. If you disagree, instead of, I'm going to sit with you with understanding and kindness, I'm going to listen to you, and I'm going to be gracious when I speak to you the gospel, I'm going to be truthful, I'm going to be powerful, but I am going to be gracious. I am going to be understanding. Right? Because the, the reality is when people don't know Jesus respond as people who don't know Jesus, they're responding the only way they know how to respond. So we should not be shocked or dismayed when the world uses language that is anti-gospel or anti-Christ, should we? Again, we're not, we, shouldn't be, we shouldn't be shocked by these things. One author says it like this, make gracious speech a habit. Whether you're being persecuted, whether it's in a stressful situation, whether it's in difficulty, whether you're before a worldly judge, whether you've been wronged, whether it's with your wife, whether it's with your child, your neighbor, whether you're teaching a Bible study or you're leading a class, Whatever it is, let your speech be gracious. Right? Don't speak like the culture does. Don't yell online. And then he adds to that, not only should we allow our speech to be gracious, but your speech, he says, should be salty. You should have salty speech. And what he means by that is salt adds flavor. It's not just informative. Actually, the Greeks used, it, uh, used this word as a way to, to refer to being witty, amusing, clever and humorous which gives me permission to be sarcastic right it's it's not you're not boorish when you share the gospel right one of the things that that some of you have said to me over the years in my preaching whether you agree with it or not you know that i'm passionate like i'm i'm not up here just you remember the charlie brown teacher Right? And the reason that's the case is because I am madly in love with the Christ who saved me from my sins, and I know and I've witnessed the power of the gospel in my own life, and I get to see the power of the gospel work in other people's lives every day. Therefore, how can I stand up here before you and just give you information when the Bible isn't just about information, it's about life transformation? You become a new person, a new creature in Christ with a new heart that's finally beating for the things of God and you begin to get excited about those things, to see marriages healed, depression alleviated and for people to finally feel liberated to live the life that God has called them to live. Right? And if, if, if at some point you're like, oh my gosh, how come it's working for him? It's because I am madly in love with Christ 
And I do my best, though it is so imperfect, to make him Lord every day. And my wife will tell you this. We, we are willing to do some very difficult things to be obedient to the Lord. Even pastor through a pandemic. To be faithful when so many others are not being faithful. To be true when truth is at a compromise. And it's because when we proclaim the gospel, the gospel goes out and it transforms lives and then we become much like the, the book of Acts. And this is what I'm hoping for. This is what I'm desiring. If you just follow through the book of Acts, disciples are increasing in number, more people are coming to Jesus, churches are being strengthened in their faith, and their numbers are increasing daily. New people are coming all of the time. New people are getting saved. New people are coming to the Lord. Which kind of leads us at this kind of really interesting like pivot point here in our, our little small mountain town in Truckee, California. And, and that is to say that, that we've experienced, we've probably, this is what's really crazy, we've probably lost 200 people that have been part of this fellowship in the last 18 months. Just moving out of the area. And we've probably gained close to 300. Many of which are people who have never been to church before. There's a young man sat here in the front row this morning who recently gave his life back to Jesus just a few weeks ago. And every single week when we're done, he's like, I am so done with the world, I want to give my life to Christ completely. Right? And, and, and what happens in this dilemma, and I've seen this over the years, there's been these times where the church has breathed, it's gotten bigger, and then it's gotten a little smaller, and then it gets bigger. And, and I, some of you don't know this, but when Allie and I first came to Sierra Bible Church, there's about 150, 200 people, one service. We're almost three times that size now. And with that has come great growing pains. Even for some of the older folks, we had a, an older folk one time in our church say, say, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, I don't like the church to be growing. I, I like my small mom and pop church which is nice and neat to have a small mom and pop church. But last I checked, the, the Bible tells us to proclaim the gospel to all people at all times. And when people get saved, they need a building to come to to be strengthened in their faith, to be discipled and to grow. So you know what that means? That means some of us who've been here a long time need to get with the program. Jesus wants this church to grow. Now here's the deal. Unless... More of you moved to Idaho. I just, I just had a couple this morning. Lovely couple. They've been here, I think, close to seven, eight years. Just informed, we're going to Colorado. They're moving. Right now, unless, unless more of you go to Idaho, we need more space. Or we need to add another service with volunteers we don't have. I do believe, as the days get darker more people are going to see what we're doing here is attractive. Which means we need more space. What are we, how are we going to do it? I, I don't know. You know, let me, let me give you some good news. We had dinner last night with a new couple in the church. They moved from Idaho to here. <laughs> yeah. Jesus is still working miracles, y'all. That's amazing. And you've got to get to know them. They love the Lord. They love the Word of God. And, and, and I believe Jesus wants to continue to convert people who were not converted before. You know, let me tell you why this is so risky. Obviously, to some degree, the church, well, to every degree, the church relies on your generosity for it to continue 
to thrive and grow and move. Do you know what happens when new people become Christians? They don't walk in the building and go, oh, here's my money. So when we say we want people to come to salvation, it has nothing to do with funds because that kind of giving doesn't happen for however long. They, they need resources. That requires us to give away free books, free material, free this, free that, so that they can be the people that God wants them to be. And we want to see that. I hope you want to see it. Because this is a commandment by our Lord and Savior to preach the gospel. This is Matthew 28. Go into the world and teach them all that I've commanded. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people. I really like how John Piper puts it. He says, Christianity is a converting religion. It is evangelistic. It is persuasive and expansive and missionary. It is not coercive. It does not use the sword, manipulation, or brainwashing but it does proclaim and persuade and plead and pray. And where this is not believed and practiced, Christianity ceases to be Christianity and starts to become some other religion with another king who no longer says, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. When we lose a passion to see people won over to Jesus, we lose Jesus. Christianity is a soul-winning, outreaching, mind-persuading heart entreating, rescuing missionary faith or it is not true Christianity. Or like I like to say with people when I'm sharing the gospel, if you feel like I am trying to convert you, it's because I am. <laughs> I want to see people transfer the lordship of the world that is over their lives to the gracious lordship and relationship that comes with Jesus. It's worth it. And the good news is I know the, the, the sovereignty of God in this regard. When you share the gospel and when I share the gospel, you and I do not have the power to convert the soul or change the heart. That is the Spirit's work. Our job is to be obedient, to proclaim the gospel, and to proclaim what we know. Because some of you are going to say, well, I don't know enough. You know Jesus saves you. Share what you know. You'll get better at it. Well, I'm afraid of screwing it up. You can't screw it up. God used a donkey in the Old Testament to preach. You can't mess this thing up. You just got to do what you know. God is good. God is kind. Maybe all you got is come to church with me one time and just see, see what it's like. And I've had people who've come over the last year. There's one guy who came. He said, he would, this is what's really cool. He said he would never come to church ever again, ever. And then he calls me. He says, actually, I'd like to come to church. And he came to church. And he said, there's something about the community that I want, but I don't know if I can receive the gospel. And I shared with him, we are the community we are because of the gospel. Who we are is rooted in the gospel. And we must accept the gospel to be the community that we are. And so we pray for open doors. We pray for clarity in our preaching. We pray that we would be bold and that we would have nice, gracious, salty speech as we walk in wisdom. So our mindset, our mindset as we leave this place and go out into our individual missionary fields, we look and pray for doors to be open. We ask for a compulsion in our hearts, a fire in our belly. We ask that we would be unashamed in the preaching of the word and the gospel 
and that we would use our time wisely and redeem our time while we're on this earth. Scripture literally tells us there will be a day where where we, we no longer have the opportunity to share. And so we must seize the day as we can. So let me share with you a couple next steps. These will be fun for you this week, I think, if you practice them. One is uh, asking you to, if you haven't already, to try to instill in your life a daily pattern of, of prayer and talking to God. I know some individuals kind of set up a, a morning, noon, and evening kind of uh, rhythm. Maybe it's a morning and a night thing, but find a rhythm that works for you. Take advantage of it. The second one I think is really fun. Pray, pray for and then ask to see as you pray for those open doors and take advantage of those open doors to preach the gospel. This one's fun because what's going to happen is some of you are going to pray that God will reveal an opportunity to share the gospel, and then you're going to be sitting in Burger Me, and the opportunity is going to come, and then your flesh is going to rise up, and your fear is going to creep, and you're going to go, oh, no, what do I do? Jesse told me to pray for an opportunity. The opportunity is in front of my face. If you don't take the opportunity, this is what you're going to hear inside of your little, little mind that the Holy Spirit is going to say, don't be disobedient. And be obedient. Share the gospel. Whatever you know. And number three, what does it mean for you to walk wise and to let your speech be seasoned with salt? How can you practice that this week? Amen? Let us be a church that not only believes the gospel, we believe in such a way that it has to come out of our mouths and be proclaimed. Would you stand with me as we pray? Lord, thank you for a wonderful morning. Thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you that it is powerful, that it is without shadow or variation, Lord, but it is consistent and hopeful. I pray that you continue to do a work in all of us, Lord, that we'd be the people of God that you desire us to be, that you would bring more people here to Sierra Bible Church for salvation, to be baptized in your name, and that you would give us the privilege to be able to disciple them into maturity, Lord. And we trust you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.